Chapter 19 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The Throne of the Gods, Kalnagur. The Throne of the Gods was the most famous institution in Atvatabar. It was the cynosure of every eye, the object of all adoration, the tabernacle of all that was splendid in art, science, and spiritual perfection, the great institutions of Egyplosis, the college of ten thousand soul worshippers, the palace of Naphisthasia with its five thousand poets, artists, musicians, dancers, architects, and weavers of glorious cloths, and the establishments for training the youth of the country in mechanical skill, were but the outlying powers that lent glory to the throne itself. It was the standard of virtue, of soul, of genius, skill, and art. It was the triune symbol of body, mind, and spirit. It was the undying voice of Atvatabar, proclaiming the grandeur of soul development. That pleasure, rightly guarded, may be virtue. The religion of Harikar, in a word, was this, that the nirvana, or blessedness, promised the followers of the supernatural creeds of the outer world after death, was to be enjoyed in the body in earthly life without the trouble of dying to gain it. This was a comfortable state of things, if only possible of accomplishment, and such a creed of necessity included the doctrine that the physical death of the body was the end of all individuality, the soul thereafter losing all personality in the great ocean of existence. The throne of the gods was a cone of solid gold one hundred feet in height, divided into three parts for the various castes of gods, or symbols of science, art and spirituality. The structure was a circular solid cone of gold, shaped somewhat in the form of a heart, it was indeed the golden heart of Atvatabar, proclaiming that sentiment and science should go hand in hand, that in all affairs of life the heart should be an important factor. The lower section, or scientific pantheon, possessed bas-reliefs of models or symbols of the more important inventions. This section was 40 feet in height and 72 feet in diameter. The images of the gods themselves, surmounting the lowest part of the throne, were in reality composite man-gods. That is to say, each figure was a statue, life-size, of the resultant of the statues of all the important developers of each invention, and was thus obtained. As soon as any prominent inventor or developer of an invention died, the government secured a plaster cast of his body, if such had not been made prior to death, and this was preserved for years in a special museum. When twenty or more casts of various developers of any one invention had been accumulated, these were placed on a horizontal wheel, which revolved in front of a photographic camera, and thus the composite outline of the future god was obtained. As many outlines were procured as there were eighths of an inch in the circumference of the largest cast, and from the collective pictures the ideal cast was made by the sculptor. The cast, once perfected and afterward draped, was reproduced in solid gold, and placed with appropriate ceremonies on the pedestal of the throne itself. In like manner, the gods of the arts, poetry, painting, etc., were created, and also the priests of Harikar, the holy soul. The reliefs or symbols of mechanical art were originally cast on the throne itself. These included the electric engine and locomotive, electric healer, telephone, telegraph, the electric ship, elevator, printing press, cotton gin, weaving loom, typesetting machine, well-boring apparatus, telescope, flying machines, individual and collective, locker kids, sewing machine, photographic camera, reaping machine, paper making, and wallpaper printing machine, phonograph, etc, etc. This department of the throne being the largest was significant of the material supremacy of the mechanical arts in the nation.
Science itself was a god named Triparus, fashioned like a winged snake, so called because it was said he could worm his way through the pores of matter so as to discover the secrets therein. This god seemed a compound of our ancient sphinx, or science, and Daedalus, or mechanical skill, but with an entirely new meaning added to both. The second or intermediate section of the throne was devoted to the gods of art and their attributes. It was 60 feet in its largest diameter and 24 feet in height. It possessed also two sections, the upper containing the statues of Eidblis, or poetry, Dimborn, or painting, Bredesil, or sculpture, Swenge, or music, Tilono, or drama, Timpango, or dancing, Olshadil, or architecture, etc., etc. In the lower sections, there were tableaux cast in high relief, illustrating the qualities of the soul developed by art, viz. Ondrilon or imagination, Diandron or emotion, Samadoan or conscience, Boedli or faith, Lentilmid or tenderness, Delodia or truth, etc. The third division contained the gods, or Fanito or conjuration, Aureliano or divination, Pridano or clairvoyance, Siddishano or electrobiology, Odolfano or theosophy, Bishanamano or spiritualism, etc. The climax of all was the throne of the goddess. It was a seat of aloe green velvet that, revolving slowly in the centre of the supporting throne, presented the goddess to every section of the vast audience. Thus seated, the goddess radiated an orient splendour herself, a blaze of beauty in the focus of every eye. The music of an introductory opera warbled its soft strains with breathless execution. It seemed the carolling of a thousand nightingales, mingling with the musical crying of silver trumpets and the clear electric chiming of golden bells. End of chapter 19